Dave once told me that he thinks very carefully about who should preach which passage and who should be, who would identify with the topic. And the topic today is the struggle of the soul. I don't know what that says about me, but actually he's right. I have a struggling soul, a frail soul, and maybe you do too. So let's pray together. Living God, come and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Bring healing and encouragement and hope to us. Where we are weary and in pain, bring life. Where we need transformation, bring challenge and inspiration and strength. We lay ourselves open before you now. Amen. This week, um, a sort of painfully infrequent thing happens to me, which is that every day of the week, as I woke up, I felt God speak to me. And I felt him say, clothe yourself in compassion and kindness. Over and over again. Clothe yourself in compassion and kindness every day. I, I know you're thinking, I'm sure Vanessa gets that kind of word from God every day. She's so holy and reverent. But I'd like you to know that mostly nothing happens in my life before a cup of tea and an episode of MasterChef Canada. Then the living God can speak. But before that, nothing. So this is quite new and different to me. A sense of waking up with these words of life and hope. And they are good words, aren't they? Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, words which I recognize as being of God, words which I hear and receive as calling, as encouragement, as a directing of my steps. And yet then, I'm utterly staggered by my capacity, not minutes or hours later, to be cold and hard-hearted, to dismiss people quickly, to be judgmental, whether in thought or in words or in action. I am amazed by the ability of these words to speak to my soul and then to just disappear as if they had never come. In the days since the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris, um, lots of stuff has been written. I'm sure you've been overwhelmed by the avalanche of information. And in it all, the thing that stood out to me was a story that I read in the New York Times of the Koachi brothers, of the two men who committed the attack on the Hebdo office, Charlie Hebdo office. And these two um, brothers had found themselves aged eight or nine um, in an orphanage. They'd lost both their parents, and they grew up in this kind of isolated home for children, uh, children without parents or um, children from troubled backgrounds. And as you read the story, what you hear sort of underneath it all is a story of two lost souls of two people desperate for meaning and acceptance and belonging, so desperate that they would increasingly turn towards an ideology that was radical and violent and in its end very deeply destructive. There was a lost soul there. And what to make then of the souls who commit the atrocities in Nigeria, brutality on a scale I can hardly bear to comprehend who are these people? What has happened to their soul that they could destroy so indiscriminately, so freely? This week I was so proud to be Anglican when I read 
the um, articles by the archbishops of Canterbury and York, and they sort of called out the governments. They delivered this stinging attack on who we are, and it felt prophetic, and it felt true and raw. And they said, we are a country ill at ease with ourselves because we have ruthlessly pursued individualism and consumerism. And they said, this is evil, the growing gulf, the divide between rich and poor, the skyrocketing house prices in one place, and the 900,000 people who used food banks last year. This is sin. This is evil. Jesus says, what does it profit a person to gain the world and lose their soul? And what you heard in these articles is the archbishop saying, we are losing our soul. The struggle of the soul is so foundational to everything. It is foundational to who you and I are as people, to our inner well-being, and to how we live out that well-being in relationships with the people we love the most, the people we come into contact with. The struggle of the soul is foundational to how we find meaning and belonging and connection and to how that plays out in communities, even to the point that it might lead to violence or death. The struggle of the soul is foundational because it relates to how we make huge global communal corporate choices about what we will collude with and what we will shout out about. The struggle of the soul is the very beginning and end of everything. It is important. Now, I don't know how you feel this morning. Maybe you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've had the roughest week at work. Or I just got three and a half hours sleep because of my child. Or maybe you searched for 35 minutes for a parking place and have ended up parking 200 feet from your house and walking the rest of the way. Not that that's ever happened to me. Um, maybe you think, I don't want a sermon that's going to berate me and I'm going to feel rubbish at the end of it. I don't want to look at this text and feel kind of depressed and defeated. I'm exhausted already. We won't do that. We will not do that today because I think there's something more in this text for us, in this layered text of, of really baffling beauty with its turns and its confusions. There is something in it here that invites us all to enter into a space where we look at the struggle of the soul together and we're honest and we're vulnerable and maybe it's uncomfortable for a while, as Dave warned us that it might be last week. But hopefully in this place, there is freedom, there is release, there is healing for us. My prayer is that each of us will find, will hear whispers of encouragement as we journey through. I want to look just at three truths that I see in this text and hope that one of these, one of these will resonate and bring you life. The first one is this, we are all in it together. We are all in this together. Romans 7 um, comes in the middle of a block that divides from chapters 5 to chapter 8. And in this sort of great book, this complex, deep, rich book in which Paul develops his theology, perhaps more than in any other book, 5 to 8, those chapters describe what it means to live in the grace of God. What does it mean to experience the grace of God and to live as a Christian out of the grace and here, in chapter 7, there's something rather unusual and different. Paul starts to say, I do not understand what I do. I don't do what I want to do and what I hate to do, I do. Is this Paul 
giving us a little slice of autobiography. Is this Paul laying it all out for us and being honest and real? Maybe, maybe a little bit. What he's certainly not doing is distancing himself from this experience. He's not saying, this is a problem for you, Romans. Thankfully, you have me, and I can show you the way forward. He's not saying that. But there's something a little bit more, there's a layer on top of this, because in that way of writing in the early periods of the church, to use the word I was an inclusive word. It was a bit like saying we or one. It implied something more universal. Here Paul is saying, I identify with you, the people of God, and you identify with me. We are all in this together. This struggle is not mine or yours. It's all of our struggle. I don't know if last Sunday when you got home, um, maybe did you see any of the march in Paris? Did you see all those millions of people marching the street and holding up that sign saying, Je suis Charlie? And then eight million people wrote a blog post why they aren't Je suis Charlie or Je suis something else. But there was something in that moment something in the je suis, I am, that was really important, that was saying, I identify with you in your pain. I am with you in it, and I am you too. I am you who suffered. I am you who grieve. I am you who long for pain. Something in the I is universal and says, me too. You struggle, so do I. I think we hear this when we think about the struggle of the soul. You know, if I were to tell you that every day at about 8.30, without fail, I say to myself, I will never eat chocolate again, ever. My chocolate-eating days are over. And then at 10.10, maybe, I go to Lifestyle Express on Broughton Street and I buy the chocolate frog I buy most days. Now, in you, that story will resonate. Maybe not the chocolate, maybe not as hooked as I am, maybe the frog has not wormed its way into your heart as it has into mine, but there will be something else. In you, your spirit will resonate because there is a force that drives each one of us, and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know whether it's a substance, something that you take where it's got a grip, and something drives you to take it, and you don't know what that is. Or maybe it's something that you look at on the internet and you feel terrible afterwards, but you find yourself looking and you can't stop. Or you read things that you don't want to read. Or you enter into relationships or you're drawn towards relationships that you know are toxic and damaging, but they're addictive somehow. Or you're in a behavior pattern that is just painful and wounding and bad, but you cannot get out of it. All of us have it. The reason it resonates is because I am you and you are me. We're all in it together. Je suis. Or if I were to tell you that if I haven't done a piece of work and I sort of get found out about that, if I've forgotten or I couldn't be bothered or I was late or lazy and I get found out, my initial first quick instinct is to lie. I want to lie. I want to say, oh, sorry, I forgot, or something came up, or I did send that thing. It obviously didn't make it through to your inbox. That is what comes up in my soul. And the reason that will resonate with you is because maybe you don't want to lie about work you haven't done, but there will be another lie, another deceit, another thing you want to cover up in your life because we want to be perceived well. We want people to think we're good or competent or kind or professional. And there are places where we're not and places where we need to cover it up. I am you and you are me. We all do this. 
Or if I tell you that there is some part of my life where I am struggling and I find it unacceptable and maybe shameful and I can't tell people because it's hard or sorrowful. Or I think if I tell you, you'll find it difficult. Then maybe that will resonate in you some area of insecurity or inadequacy or brokenness or sadness or disappointment or brokenheartedness or loss and that will resonate with you because we all carry them. We are all in this together. And rather than that being depressing, I find that really encouraging. Because what it says is, there aren't a block of people who do not have a struggle with the soul over here, as sometimes we might lie to ourselves and believe, oh, if only I were part of that group who never struggles, but instead I'm here in this group who's struggling. We are all struggling. There will be different struggles for each one of us, and some of us will struggle very badly. Some of us will find it life incredibly difficult, and others of us will seem, whether it's true or not, to float through life. But the truth is we're all struggling. We're all in it together, which means there's no cause for shame. There's no cause to pretend. There's no cause to worry that you're going to be found out as an imposter. Of course you're an imposter. We're all imposters. There's no hypocrisy. We just are all trying to make it. I pray, may you find here a place, a community, where you can share who you are, where you can be honest and open about your struggle and find people who will say to you, me too. I pray you find places where you can confess, where you can find encouragement, where you can have people who say, keep going, keep walking. We're all in it together. This, that's the first truth. The second truth is this, that the soul has the most incredible homing device. Um, I was telling the 9 a.m. congregation this morning that although I know, I know in my innermost being that what I need to do when I wake up is to be still with God. I know because when I do it, I feel this sense of peace. I feel through the rest of the day, a kind of guidance and a stillness that I need. I know that resting in the presence of God and contemplation is the key to, the beginning, to beginning my day well and to living my day well. And when I do it, it brings me joy in life. I know that, and yet every morning, I watch people from Vancouver and Toronto chase around the kitchen trying to think of creative things to do with offal. That's what I do every morning. What is that about? Why do I know that something is good and has life and hope? It's not a hard thing. It's not a miserable thing. It's a deeply good thing. And yet I choose something that has no life, that's kind of numbing and anesthetic, something that actually occasionally makes me a little bit stressed and angry. Why would I do that? Paul beautifully describes this paradox, this sense, you know, I know what's good, I know what I should do, I know it deeply in my soul, and yet I do what I hate to do. I know what I want to do, but I can't carry it out. I just can't seem to make it happen. Now, it would be easy to read this bit of the text as being really depressing and to think, yeah, aren't we rubbish, all of us? You know, we try, we know what we want to do, but we end up doing nothing like what we want to do. We know, we know what's good, and let me tell you, I just gave you the most banal of examples in my life. There are much more serious examples of things I know to do and I do not do. 
But I want to focus on something, something a bit more hopeful, really, because I hear something in this text, something encouraging, which is this, that the soul in Jesus Christ recognizes what is good. That the soul who has discovered the love of God knows what is love, knows what is healing, knows what is wholeness, and is heading that way, the homing device is pointed on God. Dave talked last week about how the soul is this kind of integrating point between the heart and the mind and the will and the actions, and the soul brings it all together. So that if a soul at rest is looking for all these pieces to be in harmony together, for everything to work together, and if these things aren't working, if there's something happening in the will or the heart or the body or the mind, then there will be a sense of division. And the soul, not at rest, will struggle. The soul will find that painful. That's why the Psalms carry on that. My soul cries out. The Psalms are full of those kind of things because the soul is desperate for healing and wholeness from the wounds that it carries. I find that deeply encouraging and deeply hopeful that somewhere within us we carry an innate instinctive longing for healing. Sometimes um, when I have the privilege of talking with people where life is really difficult, where they are feeling broken and ragged, where they feel sort of at the end of themselves, where they're exhausted, where there is pain, where they just are desperate. Maybe a relationship's broken down or something's wrong with their job or they're bereaved. It's just, they're just desperate. Every now and then in that moment of conversation, I feel this kind of flash of um, excitement and hope. And sometimes in the middle of that, I have this desire to smile And that's been a really awkward and uncomfortable thing and pastorally inappropriate. And um, occasionally I've thought, what is this? Is this, you know when you're in a silent library and you think, I'm going to scream. Does anyone have that? Maybe not. Maybe just me. Occasionally you think, I'm going to do it. I'm going to scream. And that kind of strange feeling, that kind of incongruous feeling, sometimes I wonder if it's that. Is it the embarrassment? Is it something? But lately, and as I read this text, I realize every now and then, You hear the cry of someone's soul and the cry is for healing. And that is full of hope. It doesn't mean that the journey to find home or the journey to reach healing or the journey to find peace or comfort or love is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there isn't pain and sadness and struggle. But what it means is that there is encouragement and hope because something deep in the soul is headed in the right direction. Something is pointing home. And I say that to you to say, may you be encouraged to be attentive to the cries of your heart or maybe to the cries of other people's heart and not panic when you hear it, not panic when you think, I want to do this, but I do that. I want this to happen, but I just can't make it happen. Listen to that. That's the cry of your soul. That's the cry of your soul saying something is not integrated. Something is out of line. And incline yourself that way. The Holy Spirit is leading you. The Holy Spirit is calling you home. The first truth is we are all in this together. The second truth is this. The soul has the most incredible homing device. And the final truth 
is that the struggle continues, but the war is won. Struggle continues, but the war is won. It's a difficult passage, this, because it's, it's got rhetorical sort of games in it. Paul is deliberately setting things up so that you can understand something more powerfully. Seven leads into chapter eight, very obviously, but eight is such a, an incredible chapter, and it needs seven to set it up. If you get a chance, go home and read chapter eight and weep at its beauty. It is so exceptional. But we need to hear the force of the of the sin that is living in people in order that we understand what Paul is saying. So that idea that, you know, I know what I want to do, but I end up doing something completely different. Or that, you know, I try and live well, I try and pick myself up, I try and do the right things and make the right choices, but I end up making wrong choices. I end up doing stuff that annoys me or hurts other people. Paul says this is the force of sin, the force of sin living and acting within us. And he talks about sin not as a kind of collection of things you've done wrong, but as a kind of living presence, a force that is to be reckoned with and hard to control. Barbara Brown Taylor, a writer I like, describes sin, or invites you when you're looking to find sin, is to notice the things that make you feel as though you're dying And so you are being cut off or alienated from the source of life, whether that's light or air or community or sustenance or meaning or hope. Look for the things in your life that make you feel as though you've been cut off from that because that's a sign of that force of sin at work. Um, A few weeks ago, I, I told a friend something that I shouldn't have, information that wasn't mine to pass on. And the second I did it, it sort of spilled out. The second I did it, I could hardly breathe. I felt as though my air was being cut off, and it felt as though I was alienated from the source of life in that moment. And even in the weeks that have come on since then, when I think about it, as I tell you about it now, I did reassure people this morning it's nothing to do with anyone here. I didn't reveal a secret or a confidence in case anyone is anxious. But I shouldn't have done it. And what I did was painful and wrong. And it, it has the potential to hurt someone. Ah, oh, I feel still like the life is crushed out of me. That's the struggle of the soul when sin roars in pain and sorrow, and life is gone. Even Paul has this line, oh, how wretched I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Because I'm melodramatic, I like things like that. Occasionally, I like to say that to God. Oh, I'm so wretched. Who will rescue me from my body of death? But I like the fact that it feels that way sometimes. It feels as though we're just failing over and over again. The important thing here is that Paul is setting us up. He is deliberately building up sin so that it looks big and bigger and bigger. That's the idea, so that we have this sense of the towering power of sin so that he can contrast it with the one who came to destroy sin, the one who has done it, the one in whom the victory is won. Who can rescue me from this body of death? You don't have to wait a minute before he says, thanks be to God, I am delivered by Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to win the war. The struggle will continue. Tim Keller says we'll always have a struggle. 
We weren't made not to struggle. The becoming of a Christian was not the promise that we wouldn't struggle. The difference is that without Jesus, we are in a struggle that we cannot win. And with Jesus, we are in a struggle that we cannot lose. That's the difference. We will all struggle. We will always struggle until he returns. This is the call. Pick up your cross and follow me. The struggle is not a sign of failure or futility. The struggle is the sign you're doing what you're meant to do. You're walking your journey of discipleship, trying to grow more like him, opening yourself up to healing and wholeness and hope. May you then find meaning and encouragement in your struggle. May the struggle of your soul allow you to think about the ways in which God is speaking to you. Maybe in the morning, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness as he speaks to me. What might that change as you struggle with those words and with your failure to do it? The struggle of the soul helps us to think about meaning and belonging and connection and not only how those things play out in our lives, but how we here build places of meaning and belonging and connection so that people don't have to turn to violence or destruction, so that they can find family and home. The struggle with the soul means not only that we find well-being for ourselves and for others, but that we speak prophetically in the world that we do not collude with injustice, with inequality, with powers that divide and destroy us, but that we speak out for love and transformation. The struggle of the soul is not a depressing, endless series of failures, but the very nature of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So may you be encouraged, sustained, blessed, on your journey with your soul. May you know that you are not alone. It is not you alone who struggle. We are all in this together. And may you find here companionship, encouragement, and hope. May you trust the homing device that your soul has in Jesus Christ and listen for the cries for healing and wholeness where there are places where something is out of line. Listen. Listen, it's the cry of your soul, longing for something more. And when you are worn down or exhausted or fed up or defeated or feeling apathetic or just not sure why it's worth bothering anymore, may you remember that the struggle was always ours. We were always meant to struggle. It's not failure. It's not futility. But the battle, the war, is won.